been to a lot of good things here. It didn't end well. Just like marriages and all kinds of other things don't end well, right? And we're going to play Brooklyn, and there'll be a lot said about it, and then it's going to go, and it's over. You know, there's no trophy given after the game. First time you had that type of adversity. They can't keep high bent them. ESPN Radio. We are here, finally. The day that the NBA world has been waiting on. You are listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80 and ESPN Plus. She is Amber Wilson. I am Chris Canny. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 at ChrisCanny99 and jump on the Canny call in line, 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. And I got a feeling that today is one of those days that you want to chime in early because we got the Philadelphia 76ers hosting the Brooklyn Nets. And Amber, the trade went down for Ben Simmons shipping him to the Nets for James Harden exactly a month ago. February 10th was the date that this deal was consummated, and now you're talking about the two sides tangling it up, mixing it up for the first time with major playoff implications. So this is the matchup that everybody has been waiting on. We want to see how James Harden is going to respond. We want to see what Kevin Durant is going to do, how Kyrie is going to react, all of these different interests, all of the the human element at play. And in the middle of it, we got a big-time matchup between two teams that both have title aspirations. You said that this is the day that the NBA has been waiting for. And I think that that would be true. Ben Simmons was playing, right? So maybe whenever we finally eventually, if we ever see it in Ben Simmons' career, he plays in Philly again. Maybe that'll be the day that we're actually all waiting for. But at least he'll be there. He'll be on the bench, which means that we'll probably still get the booze from the Philadelphia crowd that everyone's waiting for. I can't believe that trade was a month ago, Chris. Where have I been? I, I could have sworn that was last week that this trade went down. Apparently. It's been an entire month since this trade happened, but even more poignantly than this trade and how it's affected these two teams is where these two teams are positioned and how important this matchup is, even if they weren't trading away pieces to one another and, and creating a whole lot of drama in doing so. Obviously, these two teams are in situations where they're competing for things right now, some more than others. No doubt about it. I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers are a few games behind the Miami Heat in terms of trying to get them for that number one seed in the Eastern Conference. I believe they're three games back as of today. And then when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they're locked in at that eighth spot in the Eastern Conference standings, and they're trying to avoid having to win two games in the play-in tournament in order to get into the playoffs officially. So there's a lot at stake for all of these teams, and this is a big-time matchup. And if you're Brooklyn, you've got to look at this almost as a must-win scenario because – Kyrie Irving is only eligible to play in five more games this season for the Brooklyn Nets due to the vaccine mandates, and one of those games is tonight. So you do want to take advantage of the opportunities that you have Kyrie in the lineup alongside Kevin Durant, and who knows when you're going to get Ben Simmons. So that's not a guy that you can count on, and so going into this matchup, I I get it. There's a lot of noise around this just because of the blockbuster trade that happened and how James Harden left things when he decided that he no longer wanted to play for the Nets. But underneath all of that, Steve Nash has to set the agenda for his ball club in terms of them being able to go down the turnpike and get a win in Wells Fargo. This is a big-time game for the Brooklyn Nets. 
It's a big time game. I mean, for both these teams, as you mentioned, right? The Sixers are two and a half behind Miami for the top seed in the East. And of course, they care a whole lot about home court in the playoffs. So their standing is important to them. But it's far more important, I think, to Brooklyn because we're talking about a team, like you said, Kyrie is going to be involved in five of the the remaining 16 games on their schedule. That ain't great numbers there that he's only going to be playing in five of those 16. Of course, we're coming off of the 50-point Kyrie performance against Charlotte we know what Kyrie means to that team we know how important he is he just can't be out there for them all the time so when he is out there like tonight you have to capitalize on those moments if you're Brooklyn and Chris I mean am I crazy to say like they've got 16 games left that you said they're locked into eighth I would expect that they'll be able to try to maintain their positioning here but man they need each and every single game you could look you could be in a situation where you're talking about that like you said, having to win two play-in games. I mean, the playoffs aren't even locked up completely, but it's an ugly scenario for them to have to have to win multiple play-in games and then potentially be taking on a top seed as well. So that would be an unbelievably difficult road, of course, for a Brooklyn Nets scene that again, Kyrie in that situation in the postseason, nothing's changed yet with those New York laws. So he would also be a part-time player there. Yeah, and that's the scary part because you don't know where those play-in games are going to potentially happen. And then looking at the Toronto Raptors as the team that the Brooklyn Nets are looking up at in the standings, if the Brooklyn Nets do stay at that eight spot, you're talking about them potentially having to go to Toronto and not having the services of Kyrie Irving. So it's just it's really interesting what ends up happening if they're in the nine seed. Then all of a sudden you're talking about the Brooklyn Nets not having Kyrie going up against the likes of Charlotte or Atlanta, and that's not necessarily a proposition that you want to go through either. So I I look at this as this organization being in a tough spot because of Kyrie's position and not wanting to be vaccinated. But, Amber, I can also make the case that this game is more important for the Philadelphia 76ers because although the Brooklyn Nets do have the potential to be – one of those teams that competes for a championship, as one of my former coaches used to say, potential just means you haven't done it yet. And I'm saying that because we haven't seen the big three for the Brooklyn Nets on the court at the same time, and we have no timeline as to when that's going to be possible. We don't know when that vaccine mandate is going to be lifted. We don't know when Ben Simmons is going to feel up to playing, whether what's going on with his mental or physical health. So I, I have trouble assigning any level of success in the postseason to the Brooklyn Nets, whereas I look at what the Sixers have done since they've acquired James Harden. I mean, when both James Harden and Joel Embiid are on the floor, this team is plus 76 in 128 minutes. That's unbelievable. And their scoring efficiency is crazy, but the thing that's probably the most impressive is what they're doing on the defensive end. They're only allowing 102 points per 100 possessions. If you were to uh, prorate that out for the entire season, you're talking about them having the best defensive efficiency in the entire league, even better than the Boston Celtics, who are number one. So that's how good this duo has been. And I don't know that the Brooklyn Nets tonight or any team in the Eastern Conference is going to have any answers as to how to deal with James Harden and Joel Embiid in that high pick and roll. And in the emergence of Tyrese Maxey as that third guy, since James Harden has arrived, Tyrese Maxey is averaging 23 points on 60% shooting per game. It's unbelievable how James Harden has transformed that team, and it validates Daryl Morey's decision to make that move and fork over those first-round draft picks and send Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and Andre Drummond 
because he realizes he's he's given himself a three-year window with Joel Embiid at the height of his powers and James Harden still holding on to his prime. They have a window to compete for championships. They are one of the three best teams in the Eastern Conference, and right now, based on the way that they're playing, I have a hard time saying they're not the best. I have a hard time arguing with you. The knock against this team would be that when Joel Embiid is not out there, they do have some problems defensively, particularly in terms of rim protection. And the other argument I guess I could make against this, Chris, and listen, I think that the 76ers look pretty phenomenal when those guys are both on the floor. But the other argument I can make against this is that they don't have a lot of significant wins here. They've gotten a lot of cupcake wins together so far. They don't have many significant wins on their schedule. Does that catch up to them down the stretch here when we're talking about needing to come together, get tested, build that chemistry together even further as you head into a playoff-type scenario? That applies to the 76ers. It applies even more so, of course, to the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know if Ben Simmons is going to miraculously start feeling amazing the second that plane leaves Philadelphia and they head back to Brooklyn and all of a sudden he's going to be ready to play basketball once they get this Philly trip out of the way or if he's going to need some more time. But if he needs more time, I just don't see them having enough time to be able to really integrate him into their system and build any semblance of chemistry amongst those three as we head into the playoffs. Amber, I will say this about the significant wins for the Philadelphia 76ers. Their last two wins against the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Chicago Bulls, two top six teams in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I understand they got to play the teams on their schedule. They did lose to the Miami Heat on Saturday, but that was without one James Harden. So we'll see what happens tonight. We'll have to judge them based on the opponents that they play coming up because the competition does stiffen quite a bit. But for more on the Brooklyn Nets and more on tonight matchup, we have to go out to the hotline and bring on Yes Network anchor and Brooklyn Nets courtside reporter Michael Grady. And, Michael, we appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on with us. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, Michael, this is a game tonight that everybody's been looking forward to since the February 10th trade involving Simmons and James Harden. I know that we're talking about four of the top ten players in the NBA arguably playing in tonight's game, but the human interest element is what makes this fascinating for me just because we know James Harden didn't necessarily leave Brooklyn on the best of terms. So what can we expect in terms of watching that play out in tonight's matchup? I think it's going to be high intensity because, as you mentioned, four of the top ten players in the NBA, and they want to go out there and prove it in this setting. To put the Ben Simmons situation aside, the last time that we saw the Nets face the 76ers, um, <laughs> Kevin Durant – and Joel Embiid were given, have a, having a thumbs-up contest uh, as they walked off the court. And before there was any talk of a trade and James Harden switching places, we were already circling March 10th on the calendar. We were already looking forward to this matchup because the last two meetings between these two teams had some fireworks. And so uh, Joel Embiid is out to, out to prove that he's the MVP. James Harden is out to prove that he made the right decision and he's with the true championship contending team that's going to come out of the Eastern Conference. Kyrie Irving is coming off of a 50-point performance. He has a lot to prove because a lot of people are pointing to him when they say, this is the reason why James Harden didn't want to be on your squad in the first place. And, and Kevin Durant wakes up with a chip on his shoulder. So just from that standpoint alone, you can take the other pieces to the pie as well because Philadelphia is trying to prove that they have the depth to get the job done. The Nets trying to prove that they, and I heard you guys before I came on, that they can get the chemistry on point. Um, there's just a lot to prove. 
in a March basketball game. And so I expect, uh, I expect a lot of excitement. I expect a lot of fireworks and I expect the star players to play like star players. So Michael, we know we're going to get Ben Simmons tonight, but he's going to be sitting on the bench. Do we have any clarification of when we're actually going to see Ben Simmons on a court? The last thing that I got was that he, uh, that right after this game, expect him to, um, be able to work out with his teammates and they'll really start to that ramp up process. I don't think that we'll see him before the week of the 21st. Um, I know that it's, it's fun to get in conspiracy theories and say that he's so mentally soft. He's going to be available after this uh, March 10th game, but it is a legit back injury um, that, that held him back. Otherwise we would have seen him um, well before, you know, well before today. So uh, I, I understand that that is a talking point. But it is a legitimate in injury. Um, I talked to general manager Sean Marks a couple of weeks ago, and he wasn't doing any work on the court at that point. This week was about individ- ramping up his individual work, and next week is about team activities. And if that goes well and they can get his stamina up, um, then I would be surprised if not at the beginning of the week of the 21st or at the end of that week, we're talking about a clear date circled on the calendar where Ben Simmons will make his next debut. Talking with Brooklyn Nets courtside reporter Michael Grady on ESPN Radio. And, Michael, ever since this trade went down back in February, everybody was talking about the two coaches figuring out rotations and how they're going to stagger minutes. And it seems like Doc Rivers has figured out a way to effectively do that with his big three, with Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid, and James Harden. With Steve Nash, we know that's a work in progress just because Kyrie is a part-time player and you haven't necessarily – got a timeline on Ben Simmons. So what can we expect moving forward about how Steve Nash is going to handle these rotations with all the moving parts in his lineup? Yeah, you know, the the big thing is is how you work Ben Simmons in the mix because he's such a versatile ball player. If you bring him back and he's your point guard, well, you kind of need some time to get everybody on the same page with Ben Simmons running the point and getting everybody what they need to be. If you play him more off the ball and you play him at the four – they maybe have a little bit more flexibility with either a combination of Kyrie Irving or Goran Dragic being the point and getting some reps under their belt and facilitating the offense. Ben is such a versatile guy that I don't know that it, it would make a lot of sense right out the gate to say, hey, here, here's the keys, run the offense with the starters. He can kind of do it in a, in a, in a, in a combo role with multiple other players getting everybody into what they want to do. But I think that is a very tall task at this point in the season or whenever he becomes available. So I could see him playing uh, a three or four type role with Kyrie Irving playing the point. And then maybe with the second unit, you have him facilitating a little bit more to get him to get him more comfortable in that role and get him comfortable with those guys in terms of staggering minutes. Uh, but that is their biggest challenge in terms of how you get everybody on the same page in a short amount of time. It's one thing to have some of the best players in the world, have the most, you know, arguably the most talent on your roster. But if you can't get everybody on the same page, and I, I say this because Kevin Durant comes back, they were facing a shorthanded Miami team. They didn't have Jimmy Butler, didn't have P.J. Tucker, didn't have Kyle Lowry out there, and Miami won Thanks to a pressure defense, they played mixed in some zone, a lot of junk packages that threw a Brooklyn Nets squad that had more talent on the floor, threw them off because they just hadn't been in those situations yet together. You know, it's one thing to know basketball, but to know where each other's going to be and be mentally on the same page, that's a challenge. And things are getting ramped up right now. So teams are able to, if they play, you know, pressure defense, 
to put the Nets in an uncomfortable position given the fact that they just don't have a lot of chemistry together. That's going to be something to keep an eye on. Michael, what do you make of the job that Steve Nash has done with this team this season? Yeah, I, look, I, I don't think anybody wants to step into a role where you say, hey, you got a guy who was a 50-40-90 player a season ago, and he's, and he's going to start the season not playing. Then he's going to be a part-time player. He's going to play road games, not going to play home games. Then you lose Kevin Durant for a long stretch. Then you have a disgruntled James Harden who's upset and has nothing to do with coaching or anything along those lines. It's just he's frustrated with the situation because he wants to be in a championship situation and Kyrie Irving can't play. And now Kevin Durant is hurt and he's carrying a heavier load than what he had when he was even in Houston. And so to throw that on anybody mixed in with COVID protocols and guys being in and out of the lineup for that type of stuff, um, that's a very difficult position to be in. And so in in two years, the battles and things that he's had to deal with, with 38 different starting lineups a season ago, which set a franchise record. If I'm not mistaken, they've tied the record and now have had 38 different starting lineups this season. And they'll get to 39, of course, because Ben Simmons is going to get inserted in the starting lineup uh, at some point before the end of the year. So it's, I, I, give him, I, give him, I give him a lot of credit because it's hard to establish any sort of identity, any sort of uh, culture out there on the basketball court when you, are, when you don't know from one game to the next who's going to be out there for you. And so that's a, a really difficult situation to be in while you try to uh, implement a, a system. Um, the guys love him. The guys respect him. He's certainly passionate about it. Uh, he just needs a stretch of games where he has everybody available. And um, from the net standpoint, they hope that's the case in the playoffs. And then you can get a real um, idea of the coaching battle and the game within the game, talent versus talent, and get a, and get a better measuring stick in terms of um, Steve Nash. But I, I think I think he's done I think he's done an excellent job under the circumstances. And I think again, he's respected, gets the most out of his guys. He just needs some semblance of normalcy. It's strange to say that he has a pretty impossible task when he's coaching Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That's where he's found himself, though, this season. Yes Network anchor and Brooklyn Nets courtside reporter Michael Grady on with Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. So, Michael, I haven't heard anything since October, I think, on a potential contract extension for Kyrie. I wanted to ask you, has there been any movement there? He's got a year left on his deal with a player option. I mean, are the Nets just not going to offer him an extension right now because of what's happening with his part-time status? Uh, that, that remains to be seen. I, I think the part-time status thing is going to be cleared up at some point. Um, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense on a lot of fronts, and that's not even speaking from a, uh, a fan perspective. That's just logic and science. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense where Kyrie Irving could be sidelined without a mask in the stands watching the Nets perhaps on Sunday against the Knicks, but he couldn't actually play in the game. So I think because of just how preposterous that whole thing is he actually is going to get back on the court and I think his full-time status will be restored the question from the net standpoint is is he committed to playing basketball 100% and giving the team his all um Kyrie's credit he's involved in a lot of different things from a from a from a charity standpoint he's involved in a lot of human initiatives a lot of all extremely positive things um some people are able to do those things and it doesn't interrupt what they do on a basketball court. Um, Kyrie, as we've seen in terms of being prepared to play 
and, and his performances, even on a part-time status. He may be away from the team for two weeks, comes back, and he drops 35. Uh, he keeps himself in incredible shape, keeps himself, um, you know, when he's out there on the court, um, he just looks tremendous and one of the, and one of the best we've ever seen play the game. Um, but if he has stretches where he feels like, you know, I need to be away for a while, or I need to do this, or, or this, is, this is my calling right now, I need to step away from the team for two weeks or a month or whatever it may be, um, when you have guys that are putting their all into winning the championship, that's just something that they have to have a conversation about. And if the Nets feel like they're going to be able to get that commitment um, from Kyrie Irving, then you have no problem giving him um, that money, you know, if you believe what it is you're hearing. But if there's any questions about that, then that's not, a, that's not, a, a, that's not an exciting contract for, for anybody. You know, me, me personally being able to see Kyrie on a, you know, um, um, play, you know, I, I think every Nets fan would love to see him all 82, all 82. Um, but if he can't commit to all 82 because of the other things that, that's on his heart, then um, I, I think it would be very, very difficult for anybody um, to pay to give him a to give him a long term deal, given the ramifications uh, of that decision. So that, that, it remains to be seen what happens, but that will play itself out very soon. Michael, we appreciate you getting us set for tonight's matchup and teeing up the rest of the regular season for the Brooklyn Nets. There's a reason why you're one of the best in the business. Your insight is A+. Also, you do a great job of keeping the homie Kustak in line. We appreciate a few minutes of your time. We'll talk to you again soon. Anytime. Anytime. Y'all take care. All right. That is Brooklyn Nets courtside reporter Michael Grady. You can find him on Twitter at Grady. And that is Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, huge news. And I say and I say huge, I mean huge news on the Major League Baseball labor front. We'll have the latest on what's going on between the owners and the players and whether or not they were able to strike a deal with the CBA. We'll give you the latest details coming up next. You're listening to Amber Wilson, Chris Canney, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy, we're back on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Amber, Major League Baseball is back. According to Jeff Passan, Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association have reached a tentative agreement on a new labor deal. While it still needs to be ratified by both parties, that is expected to be a formality. And when it is... Players can report to spring training camps as early as tomorrow. Opening day is expected to be April 7th. Transactions unfree, unfreeze upon ratification, which is expected to come as early as today, meaning free agents can sign and trades can be executed. Now, this is something that's huge for Major League Baseball. We have been speculating as to when these two sides would be able to come to some kind of agreement after talks broke down last week down in Florida we thought it might be some time before we saw these two sides be able to get together and actually have constructive conversation. Amber, I guess we were wrong because they got the deal done. They were able to hammer it out over the last couple of days. And I think baseball fans everywhere are celebrating because we're going to have a full 162-game regular season. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that with confidence. And now we're talking about the sport having labor peace for an extended period of time. 
Chris, not only are we going to get spring training, but we're going to get, like you said, free agency in Major League Baseball while free agency in the NFL has been giving us all the headlines this week. While March Madness is going to be giving us the headlines, it is about to be lit in sports is what it's about (laughs) to be. So, yes, baseball is back. And what a few hours it has been because we were hearing a few hours ago that they were far apart not agreeing on this international draft and that they had until July 25th to try to get – I guess, an agreement there. Then it was like an hour later, oh, okay, we actually, we have an agreement with the international draft. And now it's apparently we just have a full agreement on the CBA generally. I guess the players accepted the uh, owner's most recent offer. They needed 20 votes to do it on the union side. They received 26 votes Mm -hmm. reportedly. So now the owners have to ratify that. That feels a lot like a formality to me since it was the owner's original offer. And then the players would have to ratify that as well. Basically what this boils down to is baseball is back, baby. So on the 99th day of the lockout, they were able to finally strike an agreement and keep it from the lockout hitting triple-digit days. And so the MLB season starts a week later than it was actually supposed to start. They're going to extend it by three days with nine-inning doubleheaders to make up for any of the missed games Which, within I mean, the who first, was asking for nine-inning doubleheaders back? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what side was, was asking really for, that. for that. I don't know why we were doing that. Well, well, here's the thing. I'll say this, Amber. If it doesn't make sense, it makes money. And our very own Devin Kane, one of the guys behind the glass, suggested that Maybe it has to do with the television rights and the inventory being able to sell more commercials in a nine-inning game than they can in a seven-inning game, but I digress. Another major concession that the Major League Baseball owners made was with the pre-arbitration bonus pool. They added an additional $10 million to that pool, so now bringing that total figure to $50 million in the pre-arbitration bonus pool. So that's a win for the players. And then, of course, One of the big sticking points, one of the huge issues was the competitive balance tax, also known as the luxury tax threshold, that the owners were willing to come up a little bit on that. And so now we're going to be talking about the CBT or the luxury tax threshold starting at around $230 million. So again, this is a win for the players moving forward, and they get to share in the growth of the sport. Now, I'm sure that we're also going to hear more details when it comes to playoff expansion, because that's a huge boon for Major League Baseball, being able to go from 10 playoff teams to 12 playoff teams, I think that's probably the likely number of teams that they'll add to the field as opposed to the 14 that was also floated out there. But this is exciting for baseball fans everywhere that we're actually going to have a full season. And so we don't have to worry about when we're going to see baseball. We have an idea of when it's going to be, and we're only talking about a week delay after lengthy negotiations and back and forth during the lockout. I think that we spent a lot of time, Chris, talking about how they're going to lose the casual baseball fan, even further than, frankly, baseball's already lost that fan over the last 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. But this got done fast enough, right? I mean, I know it's been 99 days, technically, but since we got this done during spring training, players can report tomorrow, which... How does that work from the player perspective? Like, are those dudes' bags just packed, ready to go, just in case an agreement is reached at any point? Now they have to show up for work tomorrow. I always wonder the mentality behind that and, and how jolting that might be uh, for their own personal situations well, and their guys, own families. Amber, some of those guys actually have homes at their spring training sites for their team. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how, how tough it's going to be for guys to get ready to go because most of them are already training. They're preparing as if the season is going to start 
as if the regular season and spring training is imminent. So I, I, I'm not. I'm pretty sure that this is going to be an easy adjustment for everybody, getting all the players mobilized, getting all of the spring trainings going, and uh, guys getting ready to prepare for a regular season. I don't envision that being a big hurdle. Uh, the thing that I am interested to hear more about is the innovations that they're going to employ in the game moving forward because we've heard about them trying to eliminate the shift, making sure that you have two guys on each side of second base so you don't have you know guys hitting into the shift all the time, a lot of ground ball outs, and maybe having opportunities for guys to hit them in the gap more often to create more action, and then also having the pitch clock, right? The pitch clock, the idea of it being maybe 15 seconds, maybe 19 seconds, uh, a couple of different variations there. But I'm interested to see what innovations the owners and the players are going to include in this latest CBA because they still have the issue of trying to appeal to a younger demographic, a younger fan. They have the oldest average fan base of any of the four major professional sports leagues in this country. So curious as to what this CBA means in that regard in terms of the product that we're going to see on the field moving forward. But all in all, it's got to be considered a win for Major League Baseball, for the players, but most importantly for baseball fans that we're actually going to have a full regular season. Yeah, it seems like some of those other components that you mentioned of trying to modernize the game, so to speak, or make it uh, more appealing to a younger generation, those weren't even the sticking points of all these negotiations, right? Like the sticking point seemed like it came down to money, which, listen, that's typically what labor negotiations (laughs) come down to, right? And then it seemed like the straw that was maybe going to break the camel's back was this international draft issue. They Once it seems like they resolved that one, I guess they had gotten close enough on all the economic factors that they were able to reach this deal but to your point we haven't heard much about some of those other things that they were supposed to be discussing in terms of the pitch clock it'll be really interesting to see is that is that information continues to leak out because of course this is all happening in real time as Jeff Passan was the first one with this news breaking this story uh, but basically baseball is back and that is the thing that we most all care about. So we're going to try to get a hold of one of our baseball insiders to help us break down all that's going on and exactly the what's in the CBA that the players and the owners are agreeing to right now. But this is the breaking news of the day. Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association reaching a tentative agreement on a new labor deal. And it still needs to be ratified both by, by both parties, but that is considered to be a formality. Spring training is going to open as early as tomorrow for teams, and opening day is expected to be April 7th. More on that, but coming up next... We got to talk about what happened to my Los Angeles Lakers last night, and I'm not in a hurry to do it. That's why we pushed it off as long as we could. But we got to talk how ugly it got for the King and the Lakers down in Houston. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio. And Amber, my Lakers catch another L, this time down in Houston. The Houston Rockets didn't even have their leading scorer in Christian Wood available, but guess what? They didn't need him because Jalen Green scored a career-high 32 points as the Rockets beat the Lakers 139-130. to And at this point, Amber, I-, I mean, it just looks like open gym when other teams are playing against the Lakers' defense. There is absolutely zero resistance. Since the All-Star game, in the seven games that the Lakers have played, they're giving up 120 points on average. That is abysmal. And for context, the Houston Rockets have the worst defense in points per game in the NBA. They give up 118. 
So it just goes to show you where this Lakers team is at. They can't defend anybody. And then last night, the the coup de grace was LeBron James in the last 30 seconds of regulation, not having one but two opportunities in the paint. One, he misses a mid-range jumper, and on the second one, when he probably should have taken a layup or forced the issue, he decides to pass up that opportunity at the rim for Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo pump fakes and then misses the shot. And then the Rockets promptly go on a 12-0 run to start overtime and effectively end the game. So I don't know why I continue to watch these Lakers games. I'm a fan of the team, but it just continues to break my heart. When you look at them having two first ballot Hall of Famers in Russell Westbrook and LeBron James going up against the upstart Houston Rockets, who are the worst team in the NBA, and that's not something that's subjective. I mean, just look at the record. They're the worst team in the NBA the fact that you can't find a way to get a win against those people without their best player is absolutely shameful. You fell for the rope-a-dope last night thinking that they were going to get it done, and they should have gotten it done. I mean, if I told you, hey, Braun, he's going to have a triple-double, and Russell Westbrook is actually going to give you 30, which is what you've been vying for from him, and then they're still going to lose. You would have been shocked because, of course, they should have won that game with those performances, but like you said, they didn't play defense at all, and it's kind of a key component of winning basketball games, and what that tells me, Chris, at this point is, I mean, do they care? Because I, I feel like your defensive effort is where it first starts to go if you're not putting up max effort right when you're those guys particularly if you're LeBron and it just leads me to believe if they're really that motivated anymore he was very motivated against the Warriors on national television the other night but otherwise how motivated is this Lakers team it doesn't feel like they're very motivated. I mean, their defense is flat-out offensive because they allowed seven Rockets to score in double figures. I don't know, Amber. Maybe it just takes as much as us having Jackie Moon out there, having Will Ferrell dressed as Jackie Moon to motivate LeBron James to go out there and score 50 points again and again and again. Maybe that's what we have to do. Unfortunately, we've got to continue to talk about my Los Angeles Lakers catching the fade. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Hot, fresh L served up to LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers last night down in Houston. This is ESPN Radio. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny also on E+. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCanny99 at AmberW790. Also, you can tap in on the Canty call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. I want to say we're trying to figure out what's going on with the Lakers, but Amber, we already know. They can't stop anybody defensively. And then when it comes to their offense, it's LeBron James having to go off for 40-plus points. And if he doesn't do that, then you're probably talking about them losing another game. And that's exactly what we saw last night in Houston. And the shame of it all is that last night's game was probably one of Russell Westbrook's better games as a Laker, and yet it didn't seem to matter going up against the Houston Rockets, a team that didn't have their leading scorer in Christian Wood. Didn't seem to matter for them because they were up and down the court, and it was Shagoon, it was Jalen Green, it was Eric Gordon turning back the clock. But you name it, those guys were getting buckets nonstop, shot over 50% from the field, over 40% from three. And that just goes to show you the ineptitude of the Los Angeles Lakers on the defensive side of the court. The Rockets were having a terrific shooting night. 
Also, the Lakers weren't playing defense. So that might have been why, right? It might have had something, (laughs) a little something to do with it. And Chris, I just keep going back to this lack of effort from the Lakers. Obviously, you see the monster performances and monster offensive numbers from LeBron when he is out there night in and night out. But that man can't go out there and give you 50 every night like he did against the Warriors. It's not realistic at 37 years old. He had to rest his knee the next game after that. What they need to do is have a more balanced approach, and it's something that they seemingly are incapable of doing. You mentioned that Russell Westbrook still gave you 30 last night. We've been saying this whole time, oh, well, the Lakers would be fine if Westbrook looked like the Westbrook that we expected him to be. And apparently that's not even the case, Chris, because Russell Westbrook has a good night and they're still losing to the worst team in the NBA. And they're losing in ugly fashion. I mean, in OT, the Rockets scored the first 13 points of the extra period. It was like the Lakers weren't even out there with any sort of defensive effort whatsoever. And I always say, that when players age, because LeBron is still so unbelievable, but the one place you kind of see it first when players age a little bit is defensive effort, because it takes a lot of effort to be out there on defense. And typically they'll put up the the effort offensively and, and kind of let the defense, they'll save themselves a little bit, right, on the defensive side of the ball. And this kind of feels like the entire Lakers team is doing that now, where now they're just not nearly as motivated to go out there in terms of the effort. And I don't know why, Chris, because the Lakers are in a position where they could not make the postseason, where they could find themselves in a play-in scenario, where they could be playing multiple games in a play-in scenario in order to make the playoffs. So I have no idea how they would not be motivated at this point. They are quite literally playing for their season. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me, but let's see if LeBron James can make it make sense. Here's him in the post-game presser talking about what happened in that loss to the Rockets. We just don't have um, a lot of room for error, you know, and – you know, when we make a mistake or, or, or we break down defensively or we don't get a good look at the basket, um, teams are literally making us pay every time. It's not like we, we're getting away with things. Um, and it's just that simple. I mean, we, we have very um, a very small margin of error, you know, this year. Um, and teams are making us pay. Well, that margin of error is, of course, Anthony Davis being in street clothes more often than he's in a Lakers uniform. And then LeBron James showing that there is some deterioration when it comes to his overall skill level. LeBron James just can't do it all. He can't take over a game like he could once upon a time. This is not Not 2016 LeBron. This is not 2014 LeBron. He's just not that same version of himself. He can't do that consistently every single night. Yeah, not night in and night out. That's the key, right? Like, he can do it in snippets, but not night in and night out. That's what they needed. Yep, that's what they needed. Unfortunately, that's not what they're getting from LeBron James, nor the supporting cast for the Los Angeles Lakers. So, unfortunately, it feels like it's going to be more of the same with L.A., but coming up next, we got baseball back. The union reaching a tentative agreement with the owners on a new CBA. We'll have the latest ESPN Radio.